Hey guys, one quick note before we get started. Uh, I wanted to apologize for missing the last upload. Um, I decided to completely reformat the podcast. I just wasn't feeling the whole essay style thing. So I brought in my husband, Eli. In the future, I'll have some additional guests and will be more of a discussion format from this point forward. Uh, thanks for bearing with me as I figure this out. And let's hop into the episode. There are constant mistakes and cross-purposes to the confusion of everyone on the stage and to the delight of everyone in the audience. Isaac Asimov on A Comedy of Errors. Too often when we speak about Shakespeare, we focus on his greatest works, Hamlet, Macbeth, King Lear, and The Tempest. Shakespeare's works that have been deemed the greatest tend to be his most serious works. It perpetuates the image of the genius, because genius requires seriousness. However, Shakespeare could not have been the success that he was, and is, if he only wrote serious plays full of deep emotion and complex themes. Sometimes the people just want to be entertained, and Shakespeare, being the man of the theater that he was, was happy to oblige. He wrote a play that was intentionally ridiculous, a farce called the Comedy of Errors, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Hello, and welcome to Breaking Bard, a Ripe Good Scholar podcast. My name is Sarah, also known on a tiny corner of the internet as Ripe Good Scholar. Today, we're joined by my husband, Eli. That's me. We're going to be talking about farces. Woo! Specifically, a comedy of errors. Yay! At some point, we'll get Eli to do full sentences. I don't believe you. That was one. I win. Oh, no. Today, we're going to start with a comedy of errors. Because it it's one of Shakespeare's shortest plays, and definitely one of his most ridiculous, if not his most ridiculous. <laughs> um... But it was intentionally done so, and as a farce that makes it well-written, and I don't think it gets enough love by the academic community. Yeah, the point of a farce is to set up a ridiculous situation and let the comedy erupt from zany people doing wacky things in a completely improbable situation, and I don't think any situation is less probable than that of a comedy of errors. So let's set up the basics of the situation before we get into the details of the plot. Basically, you have two sets of twins. There are two Antiphiluses and two Dromeos. To tell them apart, there's Antiphilus of Syracuse and Antiphilus of Ephesus. Likewise with the Dromeos. That's a bit of a mouthful. It really is. I don't know how to make it shorter. Anti C and Anti-F. It's Ephesus. It starts with the... Eve. Anti-Eve. You're an anti-Eve. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the one set of twins is... They were separated at birth by a shipwreck. One set of twins is off gallivanting the globe to try and find the other set of twins. Apparently, one of the last places they checked 
was the city that they were very close to during their shipwreck. So, oh, so, so he went around the globe before coming to Syracuse. He's in Ephesus. Oh, before coming to Ephesus, which is the city right by their shipwreck. Yes. He's bad at looking for things. Yes, he is. And then anyway, so he's in. He's out explicitly looking for his twin. Right. And basically, a lot of mistaken identity shenanigans ensue, as you can imagine, would happen with two sets of twins. With the same name. Yes, and apparently the same clothes and same face. Well, they're twins. Well, yeah, but, like, they happen to, like, cut their hair the same way. And their beards. I assume they had beards. Anyway. So, a lot of shenaniganry ensues until it's all conveniently wrapped up in the end and the whole happy family is reunited. Aww. Yay! Yeah, that's a, that's a big difference you'll find between theatrical farces and, say, in television. Because if you look at an episode of I Love Lucy, the situation gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And then Ricky shows up and says, Lucy! And then they just cut to the end. They don't really bother to resolve what's happening. I mean, Shakespeare barely resolves what's happening. Because basically, instead of Ricky coming in, it's a random nun who like, oh, turns out it's their mom! Oh, that's nice. And then everybody goes off and gets married, because that's how Shakespeare comedy said. Even even the Dromeos? Well, one Dromeo's already married, and no, second Dromeo doesn't. Aww. But, uh, Antipholus of Syracuse, Auntie S., gets to uh, marry Auntie E's sister-in-law. I think we should drop the Auntie thing. I made a terrible mistake. Do you want me to just say Antipolis of Syracuse every time? Because this podcast is going to be three hours long. Yeah, well, let's go Auntie S and Auntie E. You're right. <laughs> so, we'll start with the setup. Okay. The setup is that... Aegean? Aegean? Hmm? Aegean? Aegon. <laughs> Aegon Targaryen? Oh, wait, wrong. Wrong thing. <laughs> anyway, his name actually is never, like, said, frankly. So, a merchant from Syracuse is under arrest because he is in Ephesus and that is not allowed. For reasons that are unknown. But anyway, he went to this town, boo on him, now he's going to be arrested. And he's like, no, Duke, don't arrest me and execute me. That would be rather unfortunate. Especially because he just walked to the town. Well, sailed, but okay. Um, and the Duke's like, what? No. And the merchant's like, but let me tell you a super sad story so you feel super bad for me. And let me live. No. Yes, so he tells the story of he and his wife were... He, he's a merchant, so he was traveling. And he and his wife had twin sons. Okay. And they were like, yeah, happy family. And then a 
poorer woman who also had twin sons was like, oh, how am I going to take care of these babies? And he's like, I know, I'll purchase your babies to be servants to my babies. Because every baby needs a servant baby. This is true. We're actually terrible parents. Our baby doesn't have any servant babies. Well, we gotta go out and buy another baby. Uh, So, I guess the old times were kind of terrible? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so then they're in a shipwreck, and the ship cracks in half. And the father had, like, tied himself to the mast with two of the babies. One of his babies and one servant baby. And his wife did the same to the other mast with one of her babies and one of the servant babies. Okay. And despite the fact that they had apparently already named the babies, he changes their names. Wait, what? We'll get there. So... They, the ship splits in half. Okay. And he assumes, I don't know. They are separated. They never find each other. He is, he never see his wife or his other kid again. And in his grief, he names his son after his other son. Okay, so they So lost- that's how they both ended up named Antipholus. Okay, so I'm guessing... He had Antiphilus of Syracuse, which meant means that Auntie E was the favorite. What do you mean? I mean, oh no, I lost Antiphilus. Uh, I just guess, guess I'll just name this baby Antiphilus, because Antiphilus was so much better than Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's what he was thinking, but you can take it there if you want. Anyway, he did the same thing with Serpent Baby. Well, so that's, that's why we baby. have two Dromeos. <laughs> what? That's what I mean. I don't know why we bothered changing Serpent Baby's name to ser- other Serpent Baby's name. Oh, I assume that he just named them b- both Dromeo out of the gate. <laughs> no, that didn't happen until after the shipwreck. So anyway, I guess at some point this merchant was like, Dear Antipholus, there may or may not be another Antipholus out in the world. And so, Auntie S was like, I am going to go find him. Okay. And gallivanted the world. Okay. Before being in Ephesus. And his father, the, the merchant, Aegon, was like... Mr. Targaryen. Yes. He wanted to start looking for his son, Antif- Auntie S. Because okay. he hadn't heard from him for a little bit. So he was worried. The good Antiphilus. What? No, this is... Auntie S is the one that was renamed Antiphilus. Okay, so he's looking for Auntie S. Yes, he hadn't heard from him for a while. Okay. And so he was like, oh no, where's my son? And so he wraps up the story and says, like, that's why I'm in Ephesus. Pretty sure my son was heading this way. So I headed this way. And the Duke's like, that is sad. Unfortunately, I still have to kill you. Oh no. Um, I think unless he could, like, get someone to speak on his behalf or pay the duke. I don't know. But anyway, he's slated to die. So we'll come back to him at the end of the play. Wait, wait. He's, that's that's just... This whole setup doesn't come back again until later. Yes. This is madness. <laughs> yes, I know. Then we see an Auntie S landing in a feces secretly 
no one can know he's from Syracuse. And this other merchant's like, oh yeah, you can't let anybody know you're from Syracuse. This other merchant just got caught, and he's due to be executed in like a day or so. And and Antiphilus, not thinking like, maybe I should check out who that is, goes, oh man, that's too bad for him. Okay, so he's... On with my business. (laughs) Okay, so he's... I mean, kind to, of dumb. Well, to, everybody is dumb. Okay. No one in this play has two brain cells to rub together. Yeah. Auntie S is particularly obtuse because he is actually looking for his other twin. And then when people are like, like Auntie E doesn't know there's a twin out there. Okay, so then when people are like, "Oh, you look like person I know," hello, he doesn't think, "Oh, maybe my twin is here." Yeah, he basically goes, huh, that's weird. On with my business. doop a doop doop So, I mean, I don't even know where to start with the shenanigans because there's just so, so many. All right, let, let's... There's your, a lot of in and outs. List your top uh, three shenanigans. Oh, these are all very intertwined. So I am going to be out of order because to go in order would take forever. Because, like I said, there's a lot of in and out going on. But basically, Auntie S sends Dromeo S to go get their stuff settled in the inn and pay the inn. So he gives him some money and, like, sends him off. And while Auntie S is just, like, wandering the town, Dromeo E comes up and is like, Dude, your wife wants you at dinner. I'm getting in all sorts of trouble. Because you're not at dinner. And I'm your baby servant. Except he's an adult now, but... No, he doesn't stay a baby. <laughs> he's a forever baby. And so, Auntie S is like, Huh, that's weird. And, like, goes off... Like, eventually ends up at dinner. At this woman's house. And this woman is claiming to be his wife. Okay. And he's like, I'm not your husband. And she's like, you're being dumb. And he's like, but I'm not. And other Dromeo at some point ends up in the house, too. Okay. And it turns out Dromeo S... Well, Dromeo E is married to the cook. Who is apparently a rather rotund woman. I remember something about this. Yeah, because they go on a really long speech of basically making fun of not only her grotesque, rotund appearance, but, uh other countries. Oh, right, because Ireland is in her butthole. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ireland's in her butthole. Which sounds like something an Englishman would write. I mean, probably. I can't remember whether Ireland or France. Anyway. So, we have... Those are pretty much the shenanigans that, like, Auntie S gets. Oh! And Auntie S likes his supposed wife's sister. Okay. So, like, when his wife leaves the room, he's like, hey, hot stuff, I like you a lot. And she's like, ew, gross. So she's not immediately uh, roped in by her creepy supposed brother-in-law, Mackinac? Shockingly, no. Oh, wow. I know, right? Is this this when Auntie E gets locked out of his house? Yes. So Auntie E is like pounding on his door and he's like, let me in. 
And they're like, who are you? And it's Dromeo S. Yes. And he's like, I'm the master of the house. And he's like, uh-uh, that guy's already inside. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? I am out here. And then I believe Dromeo E is like, who's talking? He's like, Dromeo. But I'm Dromeo. So they go, you know, it's a who's on first situation. Um, Dromeos. Okay, who's on Dromeo? Yes. And because, you know, I'm Dromeo. No, I'm Dromeo. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> um, so then Auntie E is like, fine. My wife clearly has another man in the house. So I am going to... He, he had just purchased a gold chain to give to his wife. And he decides, mm-mm, I'm going to give it to that whore down the road. Just to make my wife mad. Why does he know a random prostitute? Why not? (laughs) I mean, he is Italian. So he had paid this merchant for this chain, and the merchant was going to deliver it. Which the merchant does. He delivers it. To Antipolis S. And Auntie S is like, I did not buy this chain from you. And the merchant's like, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's yours. You bought it, silly goose. And Auntie S is like, I don't have any money to pay you. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. We're good friends. You get it to me later. Auntie S is like, okay, cool. Now I have this awesome gold chain. So he gets dinner and a gold chain. Yes. At some point, uh, the merchant, he needs to pay a debt he owes, so he needs the money. So he goes to Auntie E, and he's like, give me the money. And Auntie E's like, well, give me the chain. Oh, okay. Yeah, because Auntie S got the chain. Auntie S got the chain. Auntie E owes the money. Yeah. So at some point, the police get involved. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, pay the merchant the money. And Auntie E's like, he didn't give me the chain. I'm not going to pay him. So Antiphilus of Ephesus gets arrested because he's not paying the money. So he, fortunately, Dromeo walks by in that moment. And he's like, Dromeo, go back to my house and get my money. Is it the right Dromeo? No, it's not. Of course it's not. Don't be silly. <laughs> Dromeo S runs off to get money. And Dromeo E walks in a little bit later. And Antiphilus is like, where is my money? You have to pay my bail. And Dromeo, he's like, no, you sent me for this rope. To... A, a rope? A nice beating rope. A beating rope. Well, his wife did lock him out. Oh, so he wanted to beat his wife with a rope. Yeah. Conveniently, Dromeo E has this beating er, beating rope, so Antiphilus E is like, you stupid servant. And beats him with his own rope. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. So Dromeo S. must have gotten back to the house at some point because um, his wife and sister are like running and they're like, oh, don't arrest him. He's super crazy. He's like, what are you talking about? I mean, you be locked me out of the house. And she's like, what are you talking about? I ate with you. Okay. So she's the only person who has any sense to her this whole play. For the most part. Yes. And so, basically then they're like, well, clearly an exorcism has to take place because they are possessed by demons. (laughs) That is the only logical explanation. So, they bind up Auntie E and Romeo E and take them off to her house. 
just then, Auntie S and Dromeo S walk in. Okay. And they're like, oh no, the crazy people are loose. Oh no. And so everybody's like, ah, what's happening? And they have their swords drawn because there's like insanity going on around them. Yes. You know, and you know, now Antiphilus has all this money and a sweet gold chain. So he could buy a nice sword. He, he could. I think he just had one. Oh, okay. But anyway, they're like, oh no, chase down the crazy men. And so the two of them hide out in um, a priory, a church. Nunnery. Whatever you want to call it. Convent? Is a priory a convent? I have no idea. It's a church building where nuns and priests are. Church building it Yay, is. Yay, churches. So they're locked inside, and while that happens, Auntie E and Romeo E come back in. And everybody's like, what? You're inside the building. And they're like, we're clearly not. So then, the nun comes out with Auntie S and Dromeo S. And she's like, I can clear this all up. Oh. Back up a tiny bit. The Duke has arrived. The Duke has arrived. To execute the merchant. Oh, it's all coming together. Yeah, it is. So, um... Because as the Duke's walking by to carry out his execution, they're like, oh, hey, Duke, can you come help with this shenanigan real quick? And he's like, sure, good people, why not? And anyway, so the Duke is there with Aegon, Aegon, whatever. Aegon. Aegon. And so the nun walks out and she's like, I can resolve all of this. I know what's going on. You are my twin son, separated at birth. And she retells the whole story of the shipwreck. And she's like, and you're my husband. And the Duke's like, oh, well, I can't murder the nun's husband. Everybody lives. And Auntie S is like... (laughs) I can't murder the nun's husband. There are so few of them left. (laughs) And he's like, oh, what a wonderful resolution to your very sad story, sad man. And then Auntie S is like, hey, you're not really, not totally my sister-in-law, even though you kind of are. Auntie S, because he goes up to... Oh, so Auntie S goes back to what's-her-face's sister and says, hey, you remember when you thought I was creepy? Turns out I'm just dumb. Yay! And then they lived happily ever after. As long as he didn't get any rope. Well, and oh, and then the Dromeos at the end are like, let's be best friends, have fun! Well, at least they got something, because until this point, they just kept getting beaten. Well, Dromeo S was kind of like, hey, glad you're the one married to her. (laughs) So Dromeo E just doesn't get anything. No. Well, I mean, I assume he's happily married. Just because Dromeo S didn't find her attractive. That's fair. To be fair, on his side, he was being, like, accosted by a large woman claiming to be his wife. True. So anyway, 
That is a very broad summary of the shenaniganry that ensues in a comedy of errors. So basically, Antiphilus of Syracuse shows up, gets dinner, gets a nice necklace, gets a bag of money, and then chases people around with swords. Before hiding in a nunnery. Before hiding in a nunnery. Meanwhile, his long-lost twin brother gets locked out of his house, thrown in prison, and exercised. Yes. I think I know which one had a better day. Yeah, I, I would agree. Antias definitely, definitely had the better day. <laughs> so anyway, I think a lot of times, like, because it is so jam-packed full of absolute ridiculousness, that, like, as you could tell, even as we were summarizing in here, it's hard to keep track of. Yeah, everyone is named the same and presumably dressed the same, and... So what I've seen in some productions is that, you know, there'll, there'll be an S and an E on the clothing or something like that, you know, or, or it'll be the same kind of outfit, but different colors, just to tell them apart physically on stage, which I think is helpful because I think if you didn't have that, you would be like, wait, which Antipolis is this? And you would be as confused as the characters, which isn't funny. You know, I remember in our writing class, like that triangle of knowledge to build suspense, but I think it also times works in comedy of like, you know, the character character A, character B in the audience. Yeah. And so if the audience is just as confused as character A and character B, it's it's not not funny. funny. It's not funny for anybody. Because everybody's just going, what? But if you know like, oh no, it's the wrong Dromeo, like that's hilarious. Okay. And it and it's great when he says, Dromeo, go get me gold. And then the the other Dromeo shows up and is like, here's a rope. Here's that rope you asked for. Well, which I guess I, re- I have to beat you now. In which if I remember correctly, he had asked for the rope. And like, Dromeo S shows up during the arrest. And he's like, where's that rope I asked you to get me? And he's like, what rope? He's like, ah, forget it. Go get me money. And Dromius is like, okie dokie. And then Dromio E comes back. It's like, here's the rope you asked for. But where's my money? <laughs> ah. Th- this is a really classic farce. It's people doing silly things for laughs. And I think a lot of times with Shakespeare, people don't think of him as funny. You have a lot of English teachers saying, oh no, his comedies are just comedies because it's they're not sad. Well, because they end happy. Yes. As in, like, not everybody dies. Yeah, but... Which you... is a pretty low bar for comedy. True. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're also comedies because they're really funny. And the only things that are happening on stage are funny things. Well, and I think a lot of times that when we ignore these really funny ones, you know, and I think back to, like, this, and when we went to see Mary Wives of Windsor at Shakespeare in the Park, like, that was funny. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize how funny that play was. And they're just really good comedies, and I think that a lot of times we kind of, like, it's just, just a silly farce, you know? And it's like, well... Not everything has to be Hamlet. Yeah, it's okay for some things to be, you know, a bunch of guys beating their servants. Their baby servants. Their baby servants. (laughs) 
That sounded wrong. If that's a bad thing. Don't beat your baby servants. <laughs> Don't beat your baby servants. <laughs> Lesson of today's podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, it's okay for things to be a bunch of people playing pranks on each other, getting confused. Yeah, I think too often in academia we tend to associate seriousness with good. Yeah. You know, that, that some, like, you know, that what makes you, even, even when we look at some of his quote-unquote greatest comedies, like The Tempest, like, funny, but not, like, you know, crazy shenaniganry funny. Yeah, The it's, Tempest. It's more serious. It's more deep. It, it has more levels to it than this does. And there's definitely a place for that, and it's definitely good. You know, I love The Tempest, but, like... I think especially for people just starting out, they also need to know that, like, not all of it is The Tempest. Not all of it is Hamlet or Macbeth or King Lear. That in there is the comedy of errors. Doesn't all have to be heavy. It's okay to like what you like. And a lot of Shakespeare is light comedy, where people goof off and get exercised and start swinging swords around because people are handing them gold. Yeah. It's a weird play. It is a weird play. (laughs) And thus concludes this episode's Dive into the Bard. If you want to talk more about Shakespeare, please look me up on Twitter at RipeGoodScholar or check out my blog at RipeGoodScholar.com. If you like this podcast and don't want to miss an episode, please subscribe. Um, New episodes will be released every other Monday uh, please consider leaving a five star review so new, new people can be introduced to the podcast or share it with your friends and family uh, talk to you next time and remember our court shall be a little academic, still and contemplative in living art <laughs>